Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Back like a bad habit on the 2nd of August, 2021. It's your favorite podcast. It's the only podcast that you really need. We can just be honest with you. It's Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. I'm merely one half of your hosting duo. I come to you live from the capital of Los Estados Unidos here in Washington, D.C. My name is Luke Thomas, and I'm joined by royalty on the right side of your screen. I believe it's the right side of your screen. He is, um, well, he's Connecticut's yeah. finest because he's its king. It's Brian Campbell, who also has, I guess, AIDS. I don't know. What's going on, BC? How are you? Are you living? <laughs> Wuhan got you all in check, Luke. We're right there. I uh, hope everyone out there is healthy and good, Luke. Uh, back up, back up, because it's on LTMK and me, the B to the C. Luke, I am fired up, not just because a star was born over the weekend at Bellator 263, but, you know, it's Monday, Luke. Let's let's fire the people up. Let's let them realize that even though it may look dark and damp outside, metaphorically, uh, the sun will shine, and MK's there for you. We're ready to uh, lift your spirits, talk some combat, and continue to brainwash you uh, MK Ultra style and let you know that uh, we're your friends for life. We're the only two people you need, all right? That's it. Where are your two dads? Is, yeah, uh, my wasn't two that a dads. show in the yeah. 80s, My Two Dads? Great show, great show. Stacey Keenan, uh, Greg, uh, uh, Greg Evigan, uh, Paul Reiser. Great show, Luke. Uh, okay, so that's us for today. You remember uh, that theme song, Luke? You remember that theme song? You can count on me. Wherever where you go, you can count on me. We should add that. We should make that the MK song, right? Uh, someone's got to pay for that, so probably gonna happen anytime soon okay. uh, i will say this want to tell everyone who is joining us thumbs up hit subscribe we gave you guys a post bellator 263 show on saturday but there's still a whole lot more to get to of course is where you can follow us and everything else so like and subscribe follow us on social the whole nine yards uh if you i mean i don't know what you're doing but if you haven't gotten showtime yet now no time like the present you missed a big one but we do have good news first you can go to showtime.com get a 30-day free trial Second, I believe there's a replay, if I'm not mistaken, BC, tonight at 10 tonight. p.m. in the East on Showtime Extreme. Did I get that right? Absolutely. Not only recap the uh, the biggest fight in Bellator history, certainly, and it lived up to it in spectacular fashion, but a, a, a fight card full of Dagestanis taking over, Luke. Well, more on that to come in this show, but a, a very fun. Look, you got to say this, Luke. We're not getting into the analysis now, but you got to say this. This was Bellator's stage. Bellator didn't, didn't disappoint. They brought it. No, it was a great night. They did it. Uh, great we, night listen, we hammer we hammer Bellator when they suck, uh, but when they're good, you got to give them credit, and we we definitely are going to give them credit. That show from the prelims on up delivered in a big way. So uh, there's that. Okay, uh, we also have merch. Morningcombat.store for mugs and hats and beanies and drugs and probably <laughs> CBD and probably I don't know condoms and weightlifting gloves and everything else on there. You can go to morningcombat.store. For everything you might need, and Luke, would you, uh, oh, would you green light some some paraphernalia? What does Maybe that mean? Maybe an MK bong, anything you know? I mean, if Showtime wants to sell it and it would do numbers, I don't give a damn what we put out there. I don't an know, MK you know. defibrillator. I mean, wh whatever, whatever the people need, Luke. That's right. Um, and then, last but not least, I think we need questions for some mailbag 
segments that we're going to be doing. So as always, we ask you to scam the system by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving us a review, and then in the review, asking us a question. It could be on a little more of the sporting side. It can be a little more on the playful side if you like. Uh, but you got to go and scam it. Give us a five-star review and then put a question there. We'll get and Luke, we were told that if you have already done that during previous MK bonus mailbag shows, all you have to go into is edit the previous post you had, and it will reappear at the top of the feed. So your question will get read. Luke and I, to repeat, do have some vacation days coming up, but we want to fill your hole, so to speak, by uh, pre-recording some fun bonus episodes. So please join us on that journey right there. There you have it. I think that is all of the preamble that we have. So without a moment's notice, oh, no, let's Luke, just get... Manich wants us to, to remind the people to vote on all these podcast awards. Oh, right. Right, right. How could I forget? So there you can see the URL. So first for the World MMA Awards, the 13th annual, you see the URL there. You can go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. You can go and vote for MK for best MMA programming alongside programs that are just a lot bigger uh, than what we do. So if we win, it would be something of a, uh, you know, the little engine that could kind of thing. And I, I think we have the other get, one, too. I want to see you get positive about this process, though, Luke. Don't try to paint us as the number 16 seed. Oh, can tiny Princeton backdoor its way to beating Georgetown in the 89 first? No, this ain't it, Luke, okay? We're on this stage because we belong, okay? So uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's more like, it's more the like contender series. Seed, like Maryland. Can eat a big fat dick, right? Embedded, eat a big fat dick. Uh, DC and Helwani, <laughs> dick, okay? All right, you know where I'm going with this, okay? You want everyone to eat dick. Uh, all right. Podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up for best sports podcast as well as best male hosted podcast. Uh, you can go do that too. So either one of those would be great. We appreciate it. And if we win, trust me, our bosses will be very happy. All right. All right. All right. So with that out of the way, BC, let's get now to the topics at hand. We didn't get to UFC on Saturday. We will get to that. But let's start with what was the biggest and frankly the most important MMA over the weekend. And I would argue pretty unequivocally that's going to be with Bellator. Bellator 263 took place over the weekend and this was one of the better Bellator shows in a long time to be quite frankly uh frank with you. In fact, I said this on Twitter BC before we get to the opening topic. Um I don't want to say that like every strike force show was the grand moment and they all felt so fun and they were always filled with the elite talent and it always delivered. There were a lot of duds that strike force put out along the way, but you had a bit of a moment in time where you had a second uh, promotion that could still deliver high-level MMA at a reasonably consistent basis. Strike Force felt like Bellator 263. True or false? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did, Luke. Uh, so here's here's an interesting deal. Like this could have been Luke. It, we still could have got the same outcome. Meaning, meaning uh, AJ McKee proved that he is the real deal, and he and he you know wins the featherweight tournament, the one million dollars, the the world title, all that stuff we talk about. Pound for pound, number one beats the best fighter in the history of Bellator. He could have done it, Luke, a five round boring decision, and we would have come out of there going, okay, you know, Bellator had its big moment. We learned what we were supposed to learn. Let's move on and see what's next. Instead. A.J. McKee, after round, hit a triple-double and hit an absolute monster home run for the promotion. And the reason why that is important, Luke, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, let's not overlook the, the fact that he's a grassroots-developed star and that Pitbull, you know, who made his Bellator debut in his 13th fight, was the face of the franchise. There's all that stuff. But timing is everything. And this was a night where UFC happened to put out one of its, you know, weaker cards of the calendar year, a main event people weren't kicking doors in to see. 
fights falling off left and right due to COVID. So Bellator had the night. They had the trending. They had the people's attention for a moment just like this. AJ McKee fulfilling the prophecy that he put out there, but doing it in in perfect GIF form, perfect internet highlight reel form. Yes, Luke, this felt like Strike Force at the very best because Strike Force at the very best was legitimate competition to the UFC. And while this card for Bellator doesn't put it in that category where we're like, oh, let's, you know, watch out UFC the next two weeks. Bellator's going to, you know, break your ratings. No, it's not that. But Bellator needed to keep going in the right direction. They've got the tournament formats on lockdown and they're killing them. Now they're building grassroots stars. They're signing the right free agents and they're developing the right younger fighters, particularly from that region in Dagestan where this night just all came together. It felt big. Having fans back in the arena at the forum was very important. You had the hometown boy making good here and in, in, in AJ when Compton and Long Peach get together, Luke, you know, you know they are trouble. And it just came together to feel like the major leagues. This was a big win for Bellator, one that they can build on, one that they can continue to build AJ McKee into the star that he looks to be. And really, like you said, did it feel a lot like Strike Force? For the first time in a while, it really did, Luke. And I think that's a big win for Scott Coker and company. All right, no doubt about it. So let's talk about the fight itself here, BC. First question about everything. Biggest takeaway from from the fight, from the monster win. What's your biggest takeaway from the win and how it all happened? That AJ McKee wasn't just, you know, phenom, phenomenal on on, on the certain level, right? Eight-second knockout of Georgie Carcani and 71-second submission of Darian Caldwell. But that when he stepped up to the very top, he kept the same energy. He went for the same flashy, risky-at-times moves, and he pulled it off, Luke, because he is a dynamic force. He's... Huge for this weight class. He's young, athletic, strong, confident. All of these adjectives that we did in the long-form previews that we talked about to build to this fight, you know, there, there was a hesitation, even in both of us, Luke, even though I picked McKee to win. I picked him by decision. There was a hesitation to believe he could do exactly what he did to everyone else on this build to 17-0 and against somebody like Pitbull. So I think the fact, Luke, that he was able to go out there and kind of look like Michael Venom Page, right? Go out there and look like a video game fighter at this level? Dude, that was special. That's my biggest takeaway, that this isn't just a great Bellator fighter. This is a great fighter, in period. So, Luke, when you talk about the global rankings at 145, if that's even a thing, you have to try to consider AJ McKee at the very top. And in that mental math that we're forced to do when fighters cannot fight each other, try to figure out where the hell does this place him among the best featherweights in the world. He's 18-0. He's got Bellator records for most finishes, most consecutive wins. He's two away from most wins in company history. I mean, this was a massive statement, Luke, that if you're Bellator and you want to compete against everyone else in the world you got to have must-see worldwide players who aren't just attractions because of carnival or celebrity nature because they may they just might be the best in the world. They have that now in A.J. McKee. That's big, Luke. He is who he said he was. That's big, Luke. Admit it. It's fucking big, Luke. It's big, yeah. You don't have to get me to twist my arm to say I completely agree. I mean, it's so usually when a good night happens or even a great night there usually is some kind of thing you could point to, like, well, you got this, but you didn't get that. You missed a little bit of this part, but you got that. Yeah, you, you make a series of 
examinations and there's trade-offs. You'll take uh, something good that went right for something that was missing. So, for example, everything could have gone well, but let's say that the hometown crowd didn't show up or the fight wasn't in his hometown crowd or there'd be something kind of missing there. But here it's like all the boxes got ticked. Uh, let's see. Violent finish. Ch- almost two of them. Check. Uh, th- you know, Authoritative win. Check. Swag. Check. Press conference that you know kind of set the tone. Check. Uh, end of a tournament, check, in his hometown, had him eaten out of the palm of his hand by the time that was done. Like, it was as close to flawless sports as you're going to get. I mean, that's really what you're looking at here. Sometimes the, 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 they, they say truth can be stranger than fiction. I wouldn't call this exactly strange, BC, but what I would say is if you were writing a script, you would have written in some kind of adversity, perhaps. You would have written in, I don't know, some other element to make it seem real. This was just one-way traffic, essentially, uh, the, the, the wind at his back, basically since September of 2019, if we can be honest about it, and he just kept going. You know, it was kind of funny. I was thinking about this, BC. If the tournament, which got started technically in 2019, if, if everything had played out normally, would he have still won? And the answer is probably yes. I mean, we'll never know. But yeah, I think uh, at this point, it's fair to conclude that he could have won it. But the fact that it was delayed, I mean, part of the reason why this was so overwhelming, BC, is I almost get the sense that, like, he was overdue. This was supposed to happen last year. It wouldn't have have happened in 2019, but it was supposed to happen in 2020, kind of like midway through, as a matter of fact. And yet, everything got delayed with COVID and blah, blah, blah. So by the time it finally arrived, he didn't want to wait anymore. He didn't feel the need to, like, make it anything other than what it was. It was clinic Clinical, excuse me, it was fast, it was thorough, and it was, again, it was about as perfect as sport endings get. And you know what you uh, need? AJ McKee, AJ McKee is now a, a, a clear player uh, for pound for pound, certainly among the top featherweights in the world, and is a budding star in this business. And when you talk about the perfection of the night for AJ, for Bellator, you know, by extension, Showtime, whatever, however deep you want to go, or just MMA in general... You need the right dance partner. Luke had Emmanuel Sanchez beaten Pitbull in the semifinals, which their rematch of their first fight, which was close down to the final round, it could have happened, right? If AJ goes out there and does that to Emmanuel Sanchez, great fighter Emmanuel Sanchez, not saying anything wrong, but we wouldn't have had this level of validation. The fact that he did it against Pitbull, who, as you said correctly in the buildup, was just as impressive as McKee, if not more, given the level of competition he had to face on his side of the bracket, not to mention, as the champion, you get no favors in this tournament, you got to fight five-round bangers one after another. The fact that he did it against Pitbull, who everyone worldwide at this point is woke to and realizes this is a like legitimate all-time great fighter. It's not a guy, it, you know, one of those rare guys, Luke, who's never never walk through the doors to the octagon yet that hasn't held back his reputation and his his you know legitimacy and this was a full validation because he did it to Pitbull and because he did it in McGregor Aldo like fashion which I thought was very apt I don't know if you were the first one to bring that up but a lot you know right when it this ending of this fight happened it had a lot of UFC one what is it 194 overtones to it absolutely it really felt like that um what a spectacular performance when the when the stage was the brightest. But Luke, before we continue to you know bust out that champagne and and you know if you're gonna come, come on, bro. And these guys, they were coming. Um, can we just talk about this stoppage? Because when we did the reaction show, I joined you mid show after finishing up on CBS Sports HQ. I really hadn't you know zapruded the footage. Upon watching it another forty nine times, 
I've come to realize, Luke, that I'm not so secure anymore in the idea that it was a perfect stoppage. It's not a bad stoppage. The limp right arm of Pitbull did, it was, you know, that's damning evidence. But I have to ask you a critical question here, Luke. I think McKee did a great job in selling the finish to referee Mike Beltran, but, you know, verbally, like, look, this guy's out. Call it, call it. But do you think someone of Pitbull's history, toughness, you know, creditation, creditation, credit, accreditation? Look, is that a word? Credi- yeah, accreditation. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take accreditation. I'll call it drop out here. Um, did he deserve better, Luke? Straight up. Yes, I'm wondering if the colleges you went to had accreditation. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I will say this. I think that it's not a perfect stoppage, and I, too, kind of afterwards was like, eh, he was still a little bit with it. But the two things for me that make it forgivable, well, I would say three. One, Pitbull didn't really complain afterwards. I mean, he kind of did in, in, the, in the initial moment when he was, like, coming to, but... Not really. So that's the first. Second thing I'd say is you, you notice the limp arm. If you're hand fighting and then your hand goes limp, that by itself is not necessarily the reason to do it. You want to check and whatnot, and there was some of that. But uh, it's a bad sign. And then the last one was he didn't drop to the mat directly like Leota Machida did when John Jones had him. No, it wasn't that. But if you notice, he lets go a beat or two passes before he's even able to look up. Because I don't think he was out, but he was clearly about you know, a second or two away from going that direction, probably. And he had to get time for literally the blood to go back into his brain so he could resume cognitive activity. I'm o- I'm okay with it. I don't think I don't think it's the cleanest stoppage I've ever seen, but I think it's justified under the circumstances. And referee Mike Beltran, we don't really complain about him very often on this show. If if ever. I don't I can't remember the last time I thought he had a bad stoppage. I think this one remember, you gotta grade referees not so much A B C D F, but pass fail. And this, to me, is a pass. So this one gets a grade of passing I mean, he's on more top than it of does it the other there. one. Luke, he's you on see how top he takes a second? It? He kind of takes a second to get his legs under him like that? But but to be honest, though, McKee did have, not purposely, just the way the fight played out, McKee did have Pitbull's face shielded from the referee's view. So that's why I think the limp right hand was sort of that that key character. Yes, yeah, stop the fight. I see it. But it may not have been perfect. You know, Pitbull still could have been there. I think given his history, if he could have done it over, he deserved a little more. Even if that means McKee was just going to deliver more punishment to finish it, I think Pitbull deserved better. But I want to ask you this question. In pro wrestling, Luke, they don't always love clean finishes of one guy beating another. Why? Because it gives the image to the fans who pay that this guy is definitively better than the guy he just beat. So sometimes they do things, Luke, the term is to, like, keep to protect someone's heat. They'll have a guy kick out on the three count, right? He'll lose, but it shows you that he was fighting until the final second. Or they'll have the bad guy pull the tights. So you're like, okay, good guy lost, but bad guy was cheating. Do you think Pitbull, because of the somewhat controversial nature of this and because the fight only lasted two minutes, retains a great deal of heat and credibility from this? He's still the lightweight champion under Bellator. It's a, li- I don't know, it's a little fluky, right? I mean, I don't know if people are going to argue that. Be like, how do you say that it's fluky? I mean, McKee dominantly, defiantly won, but we really didn't get to see, just like Aldo McGregor, what the fight really was going to look like. Do you think Pitbull retains a great level of of, of, of the legitimacy he brought in because of that? Uh, I, I mean, in terms of, like, rematches, which we'll get to, like, you know, can they do a 155? I don't know. Um, but, I mean, yes, they could. I don't know if they will. But I think the thing for me is, 
you know, Jose had to go out there and win some hard fights afterwards to get back what was lost a little bit, you know, and even then, um, uh, I don't know that all of it is fully get backable. I mean, this is a big moment, man. And, you know, it didn't really to say he didn't show up is like not true because I think he was well trained, but like he he just got run over. He got run over by the moment. And, and uh, so that will that will again, people always want to like forget about bad parts of the resume and just stack up the, the wins and say, well, what does the accumulative weight of the wins mean? And you can do that as it partly as an exercise. But the full resume is both the good and the bad. And this bad is, you know, it will damage his brand. But the thing is, it's like, you know, we, you, I think you had said this on Saturday night, and I, I, I concluded the same, which was, okay, this was, a, I mean, everything about this was amazing. But we still don't know what it looks like if AJ McKee is tired from somebody just wrestling him to the ground for four rounds and avoiding submissions. We don't know what it's like if he gets, you know, poked in the eye and can't see, but the fight continues, or he gets hurt with a really bad body shot, or separates his rib, or breaks his hand, or whatever. What kind of magic are you able to, like, provide when those kinds of bad things happen, we've seen people overcome some of those things uh, time to time, which is to say that AJ can't. It's just there are still a lot of unknowns. So what I think is going to happen here is AJ's got a series of difficult challenges in front of him. We'll see how he does. Pitbull's got some work to do to get back to get back his brand. Now, the, the one difference between him and Jose Aldo, BC, is he is still the 155-pound champ. I want to talk about that in just a second, but let me ask a different question back to you. Everything about AJ McKee's success is attributed to him, but he's got a partner, and that partner has uh, been and is now only ever been Bellator. Can they keep him long term? It's it's I know I know it's uh, folks don't want to have that conversation, but I don't think it's out of bounds. I think it's fair. Maybe they can. Uh, maybe it's even the likeliest possibility. But we're allowed to have this conversation. Do you think they can do it? Well, I think the, the better question is how do they do it, okay? And, and you look, here's one thing I want to just put out there, okay? Anytime I've asked Scott Coker or I've heard him asked about competing directly with the UFC, it's the same thing in pro wrestling when AEW or New Japan gets asked about competing with WWE. Everybody's got the same answer of, oh, no, we're not competing against them. We're just doing our own thing and staying in our lane. And, look, to me, that's that's bullshit, right? Because when you, you go into this game to be the best and everybody else is comparing you against them, so you are competing so they've got a they got something big on their hands in Bellator with AJ McKee. Now you gotta you gotta feed him. You gotta feed him a few different things. You gotta feed him money first and foremost. You gotta feed him crossover big opportunities. And I thought from that degree, Scott Coker in the post fight press conference had largely the right answers. Look, what Scott Coker talked about is he wants to get him out to the masses, meaning AJ McKee. So he wants to put him on big CBS in fights, which look. Strike Force is the, is the comparison here. When Strike Force put Fedor and and before that Elite XE put Kimbo. I mean, the the masses different time with t- with TV ratings before streaming and all that. But the masses showed up on CBS. The masses did and and it worked. I like that idea from Coker. Let's put him on CBS. This is the right guy to do that. Let's Coker even said let's consider pay per view. So that's good. But I think the key thing is what AJ said, Luke, because. Look, he was asked in the post-fight press conference a lot about, you know, how do you think you stack up against the best featherweights in the world? And inevitably, you're talking about Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, and, you know, and and, uh, and Volkanovski. So, like, that's just what it is, right? Um, AJ gave the kind of answer that that basically teased to, like, he wants to change the game, he said. And, and what he's meaning is he wants to face these guys 
in sort of big cross-promotional things that we just don't see in today's MMA, right? We got enough of those issues in boxing where the biggest promoters and rival networks barely ever come together unless it's like Mayweather Pacquiao or Wilder Fury. Luke, it sounds like AJ is basically saying, I'm willing to... Now, this is me paraphrasing. This is me putting my own two cents into his words. But it sounded to me like he was saying, you know, long-term... I'm going to want to fight these guys and I want to change the format, you know, and that's going to mean, Luke, some type of cross-promotional thing. Strikeforce did it in the past with M1 to be able to get Fedor. UFC famously said, hey, hey, va-dummy, you know, go pound sand, brother. We don't do that here. Luke, do you think it's as simple as this? You can pay them all you want. You can put them on pay-per-view. You can put them on big CBS. You can get big ratings. You can make this kid a star. You can get him endorsements. All that stuff will help keep him happy keep looking out for good opponents you can crop up and build up to face him but will he have to, will Scott have to find a way to make to do the impossible to make the long-term super fight against other promotions to actually keep him and keep him happy look well they might keep him but not because they're gonna change the game there is no change in the game at least not by their own actions what do I mean by that Listen, part of the reason why the UFC is in such an advantageous position, everyone's like, oh, if you don't like what UFC does, just go do your own. But the argument is total nonsense because there's a finite amount of elite fighters in the world. And if they have access to the majority of them, let's say 80% or so, give or take, um, and they got them under onerous contracts where they're very, very hard to get out of. It takes time and whatever, you know, there's a lot of different sort of uh, elements to it. It makes any kind of rival promotion um, not just difficult, but technically impossible. You can do other things. You can change the rule set. You can get your own collection of elite talent. You can do what you do with AJ McKee, start them young, build them up through all the various stages until they get to the most elite side. And again, that's a unique advantage Bellator has. But no, it, AJ might be right in the sense that by the time he wants some big fights, maybe the Ali Act gets passed. Maybe there's a, a change in, in, that, in the industry in that sense. But no one's going to make UFC do something that they've never, ever shown interest in doing. And frankly, in, under the, in their minds anyway, would be bad for business. The one thing that I will say that I find very interesting is short of the Ali Act getting passed or whatever, is, listen, you know, you got to think about something here. There's a new generation of, of uh, fighters and I still think push comes to shove, they don't unionize on their own. But I do think that these guys who are 20-something, you know, 24, 25, I think AJ is 26, I think they see a couple things, BC. I think they see the evidence about fighter pay and they realize that there probably could be a lot more coming their way under different circumstances. And if you think about who Jake Paul is, Jake Paul is not AJ's peer as a fighter, not even close. But they are, what, 24 or so, 25 versus 26. One's obviously a bigger star than the other. But you, you see a guy like Jake Paul out there making a point continuously about pay, continuously about fighter rights. I think a guy like A.J. McKee probably absorbs, he's not, he's not dumb at all. I think he absorbs a lot of these lessons. I think he might try and box either the Paul brother or something else. He might try clever workarounds. And whatnot. And I think that, look, they kept Michael Chandler until 34 years of age. So the answer was, oh, could Bellator keep Michael Chandler? Well, technically no, BC, but they got the very best out of him, basically. They got many, many years, many, many great fights. By the time he went to the UFC, I'm not saying it was immaterial, but it wasn't like they were getting robbed per se. You might find something similar, one of those different paths for AJ McKee. It's interesting. And Scott Coker did say, 
you know, exactly what you said that, you know, maybe down the road boxing those Paul brothers is is something that could be in the cards. AJ said he did want to box. Heck, he said he wanted to box Mayweather, not something I see happening, but he did say it. Um, Luke, how big, and I'm not talking commercially, I'm talking size and weight class. AJ's huge for this featherweight division. He said in the post-fight press conference that unless, basically unless there's a giant fight, he actually might be done at 145, and we already know his want to go up to 155 and run it back with Pitbull and try to become a champ champ. But how big do you think he can go and wait and still be effective, given that he does have this very long frame? Sorry, my alarm's going off because I didn't sleep last night, and I don't know what the hell's happening. Uh, I think he can easily go to 155. I don't think the 150... Also, got to remember, the 155 division isn't nearly as good as the 140. Like, the 145 division is... Of 135, 145, and 155. So let's say, like, well, I guess they had 125, too. No, no, they didn't. They didn't at first. So I guess of old WEC weights... Right, 135 to 145 and 155. Obviously, they had more than that, but at a time, they just had those three. Uh, 145 is the best, far and away, like not even close. So I think he could go and honestly, whether it's against Patricio or his brother or frankly anybody else, I like AJ's chances to win that title up there too, man. I really think he can go, and I don't know if he can maintain injury-free life with enough frequency to defend both titles, BC, but you're asking, like, does this guy have double champ uh, potential, I'm going to well, say easily. easily I actually wasn't asking that. I almost felt that was a given, not a given that he would win at that weight class, but a given that he could compete and potentially be a favorite, you know, and, and be there and compete at 55. It's not that much larger than 45. He's already big for the weight class. I'm talking about welterweight long term, Luke. Do you think oh. that? Do you think he has the body? I think no. he's got the skill set and the speed. Do you think he has the body long term for for the right fight for that? No, but I will say this. Uh, another Dude, again, he's 26. By the time he's 34, right, what's MMA going to look like? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility you could get a 165-pound weight class. And then you could push all the guys who are true welterweights up to 175. And is there some possibility there? Now, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with this because the guy just won the featherweight crown. But, but to your point, like, yes, there are some ways... I think MMA, by the time AJ is done, is going to look a lot different than when he got in it. I really do. Um, whether that's part of it or not, that is something we should take seriously. But at 155, yeah, I think he's going to, I think he's going to do extremely well, even, even with the caveat of we still don't know a lot about some of his limits. We know a lot about his uh, upside. We don't yes. know a lot about some of his downside. And look, that's the st- that's why I think the McGregor Aldo comparison is so apt because we still didn't know what that fight would have looked like if it went more than thirteen seconds. At that point, we still didn't know what Connor would have done against a wrestler in a full camp. I said coming into this fight, we we and AJ doesn't know how great AJ can be. Now he disagreed with that when I when I asked it to his face, but I still think that's where it's at, Luke. We don't know how great he can be. Is he just a a dynamic, flashy striker who's who's hitting, landing the hits one after another, or does he have all those same intangibles that'll be needed that you mentioned—the ability to come back on the scorecards, to fight through damage? It's going to be a fun ride finding that out. All right. So point number two, we kind of alluded to it here a little bit, BC, but let's play matchmaker if we can. All right. So Pitbull still has a championship belt at 155, although obviously not at 145 anymore. You have a new champion, AJ McKee, at 145. There were some questions about where they go from here. So for point number two, BC, simple kind of question. If you are Bellator, how do you match make? Now, AJ McKee, you know, it's, it's interesting in terms of the possibilities, 
But hello, Patricio's not done. He still holds a belt. He still might want to get his belt back. What do you do with these guys? I, I think you have to build on the momentum of this fight. I think you have to play up as a positive the fact that the fight was so short, the fact that just maybe, just maybe the stoppage was disputable to, again, you know, retain heat for Pitbull. He still, you know, was the face of the franchise coming in with all those accolades. You have to match these guys up against each other within the next year. Does it have to be next? Not necessarily. You could convince AJ uh, to defend his title. And by the way, Luke, you know, someone like Mads Burnell looked, I thought, great in that co-main event, a very close fight against Emmanuel Sanchez, a former two-time title contender, where he's on a seven-fight win streak. I wouldn't hate that fight. Uh, does that mean you want to give Pitbull a comeback fight? There's a lot of things you can do here. But if Pitbull's intentions are to hold and defend that lightweight title and not, let's say, give it up for to give his brother, who's the number one contender, a chance, then it just makes too much sense that you would run them back against each other in the next year and you would do it for that lightweight title. Um, giving AJ a chance to, to carry the two belts on his shoulders, I think, is something that you talk about keeping a young star happy. I think that's a, you know, he's talked about that forever. He claims long before Connor was champ champ, I was the guy saying it. I mean, look, to AJ's credit, Luke, he's been saying a lot of things for a long time. It's just he hadn't had the resume and credibility for a lot of people to listen. So, uh, yes, I think the rematch at lightweight is the fight to make. For all we know, again, not dissimilar to, let's say, Joanna young Jacek against Rose Namajunas. Part one was a smashing. Part two five-round classic title fight. For all we know, this rematch, Luke, could be that same exact thing. And can you imagine if Pitbull should win that rematch? Then you've got a trilogy, maybe even more on your hands for these two. So I would not go veer any anywhere away from getting these two back together. Also, you have some real potential about this guy's ability to kingmake. If you, let's say you went the route of Pitbull versus AJ McKee 2, up at 155. Let's say AJ wins. Tougher fight, but whatever. Still gets his hand raised. I mean, you still have to confront a future BC. And I was going to say, I'll save most of this for my odds and ends. But, dude, Usman Nurmagomedov is a 155-er. You know what I mean? And he is coming down the pike yes. like a fucking freight train. And, you know, you've already got Habib cornering him, as you pointed out on Saturday night. Well, in, Wearing the Bellator swag and everything else, whether it's intentional or not. Um, that dude's coming, and there's a lot of other guys right behind him. So it's like uh, you have a chance of potentially having AJ and a Nurmagomedov fight. I mean, that you know, you're sort of the royal family, so to speak, of Russian MMA versus the American, I don't know, equivalent exactly, but you know, uh, father son, father son kind of dynamic. Although Usman is uh, obviously a cousin. In any case, there's some ways you could do that. I actually think you're going to keep him at 145. I w if I'm Coker. You could do the immediate rematch, but then he has to defend those. And what happens at 145, I don't know. Um, but, you know, whatever. If you stay at 155, BC, here's the only downside. you got to confront the fact that you've got Godzi Robotinov and Usman Nurmagomedov yes. and Kassan Magomed Sharapov with their sights set on that. And I have a feeling that one of them three is going to win it. Do you think young Aaron Pico ever faces AJ McKee for the Bellator featherweight title? That'd be a marketable fight. Super marketable, but he needs still some time and development. Everyone, everyone develops at different rates in different ways. You know, AJ got the proper development, the proper slower push along the way. They shoved fucking Aaron Pico to the front of the line, and obviously he stumbled uh, as a consequence. But I feel like he's really rounding out his skill set. I think he's getting a lot better. So we'll see. You do have to say, Luke, you and I don't love the idea that in in MMA, 
everyone's end game is still to go over to boxing, usually to sell their soul in a fight they can't win. You and I talk about that all the time. That That's a broken system. Sometimes it has to do with the fighter pay model, especially in the UFC, but uh, it is what it is. But if you're AJ, you could be in a far worse place than be with Showtime, which has the Bellator contract, has Showtime Championship Boxing, and also is in the celebrity crossover pay-per-view boxing game. So, uh, look, I mean, do I want to see him against a Paul brother? Not necessarily, but, you know, there is potential fun things you can do, just like we thought was going to happen with MVP. Remember, MVP took that that boxing pro one off, and he looked pretty good, and we're like, oh, maybe long-term they do something there. So there is things you can do to get creative. I'm just trying to think long-term marketable-wise, who are the names? That's why I brought out Welterweight. What if Dylan Dennis can become something, Luke? Is that a fight you can make one day? I'm trying to think in the Bellator Maybe. roster creatively, who are we not thinking of? But, you know, look, this is one fight, one victory. You got to keep winning. So we'll see what happens. Let's let's take it one step at a time. Yeah, they got Megan Macharipov listed at featherweight. Oh, I'm, I'm told he can go up to 155 if he wants to. But, yeah, um, you, listen, I think they're probably going to have Usman Nurmagomedov maybe fight Goichi Yamauchi, who both had nice big wins on this car because that they would match up really well. They both have to strike it out. And if it goes to the ground, they both have different skill sets there. That could be a lot of fun. But, dude, that guy is not far. One of, one of them, too, and most likely Usman, is not far from a title shot at 155. And I think, um, you know, you want to be careful about, you know, is AJ competitive against them? I think he'd be very competitive against them. But the question is, what do you want to do with that long term? And you just got him in this major celebratory moment. Do you want to risk having that run over for a guy who's an incredible fighter, but maybe not a dynamo on the mic and everything else. Like, at Pitbull, at a bare minimum, was poking the bear with Snoop Dogg. Usman Nurmagomedov ain't that guy. So, something to think about. All right. Let's get to some UFC if we can, BC. Point number three. Man, this was hard to watch. I was kind of watching it out of the corner of my eye when the Bellator fights were going on, so I revisited it later. Jeez, it just felt like he was fighting underwater, BC. Uriah Hall was soundly defeated by Sean Strickland. Now, it went the full distance. Don't misunderstand it. And there were definite moments where you could tell Uriah Hall was trying to push back. He was trying to will himself in there. He didn't quit, you know. And again, there there were pronounced moments of trying to put it back on Sean Strickland, but really it was not a lot. It was mostly Sean Strickland backing him up, landing heavy volume, occasionally getting takedowns, working from turtle, beating him up. BC, is the story of the fight how well Sean Strickland performed? Or is the story of the fight how poorly Hall performed? This is about Sean Strickland, Luke. In the end, look, this was uh, Uriah Hall's 37th birthday, and you know he wasn't coming in as damaged goods. He'd won four in a row. You know, questionable maybe on the last two of the overall value against injured veterans or, or old veterans. But look, Hall was was trying to get one final stand here in. Strickland beats the brakes off him. Look, this is the the food chain, the life cycle of of combat sports. You know, uh, veterans giving way to the youth on the way up. Strickland came out there, and his boxing was phenomenal. But, Luke, look, it was that power jab. Uriah Hall was squinting very early from the power of just every time he got touched. I think the story here is Sean Strickland, again, a guy who, Luke, I, I, we don't talk about him, right? You know, I'd seen him fight before, absolutely. But it wasn't a guy that was on the forefront of my mind where I'm talking at the middleweight division, you know, who's got next long-term wake up this is the guy hey bc sean strickland's the guy who's coming you know he's coming five in a row and luke he kind of made this look easy his stand-up was great when he went to the ground he, he there was a there was really a, an energy an electric ability of his of his ground game the the transitions the 
the fever pitch at which he went for finishes, I was thoroughly impressed across the board at his five-run stamina, at his toughness. To your, to your point, Hall attempted to try to rally back and empty out what was left, and he gutted it through, but, you know, his eyes were banged up, Luke, and I think the fighting spirit in the end just kind of got knocked out of him whatever was left. This is what happens at the end of a career, and, you know, he had a good run there recently, but I think it's over. Sean Strickland showed you that he's ready for the, the smoke in the top ten, and uh, this was as impressive as you can do it on this type of stage, and then you throw in some of those psychotic sound bites, Luke, that he threw out there, not just after the fight when he basically said... Hey, Ngannou would knock me out, but I'll do it for the payday right now if you want to. Or what he said in the press conference before the fight, I'm sick like that. I'm looking to kill a man in the cage. I got no shame about it. I mean, they, you, you you watch more of this guy's interviews, Luke. You're like, I don't know if he's got a full deck up there, but he's got a full game, it seems. Good-ass good, good ass win, okay? This, this ain't about your eye hall at the end of the day, Luke. Yeah, no, this is a guy who I, you, know, you just can't make the mistake early on in someone's UFC run. You get an impression about them like, oh, yeah, they're pretty good, but whatever. And, you know, they're not going to really be the guy that contends for a title. And I don't know exactly how far Sean Strickland will take it. I guess time will tell. But he had a record in this fight. I think most uh, significant strikes landed in a middleweight fight, most attempted. I think he's got the longest winning streak in this division at this point. Like, the dude is doing something pretty impressive uh, at this point. And it needs to be acknowledged. I, I, we said it, I think, on Friday. I'm not going to attribute it strictly to this, but I will say training with Kamzat Chemaev in the way that Sean Strickland had described it, which is if you don't bring a ton of internal fortitude to the sparring, you know, yes, technical sophistication matters, but you really got to have your head on a swivel against this guy and you got to bring a certain level of intensity. I think that with the overall development of Sean Strickland's game, it's always pretty good. It's gotten much, much better. Now he's doing real stuff. Plus, dude, he just had a certain attitude in this fight. Now, there were, again, a little bit later, fourth, fifth round. There wasn't quite the same intestinal fortitude. But by that point, it was a little bit too little too late, right, BC? Because he part of going out there and then hammering someone with a jab, there's lots of reasons why you might do that. But one of them, one of them will be, I'm setting a tone, okay? This is how this fight is going to be all night as long as it lasts. I'm going to set a tone right now. It reminded me, like, there were times where we, you know, uh, I've had really tough workouts and like within the first 10 minutes you knew shit man this is gonna be one of those days where i'm gonna probably you know exhaustion puke and and whatnot and you think to yourself fuck but you just got to get through it you do enough of those it changes you as a person and you become much more hardened to the difficulties that these kinds of things throw at you and so it looks to me like sean strickland has made technical maturation a part of his journey fair enough but he's made competitive maturation in ways that have made him whatever, how good he was before, it's taken it up another notch. And yes, he says shit about smoking meth and trailers and <laughs> how he would love to kill a person. And he's a little bit, he's a little bit out there. Fair enough. But, a lot but out there. when you take someone who's very good with a, at least to start, to start an indomitable spirit and you put those two together against anyone who's not there to match that right away, you're going to fight out of a deficit for 25 minutes, and that's more or less what, what happened to you. I thought it was interesting because the first you know two minutes of that fight, Michael Bisping on commentary basically said what, what we were all thinking coming in. You know, you can't stand for a long time at that mid-range against somebody like Uriah Hall. He'll make, your pay. He'll make you pay. He never really did, Luke, and I think it was the power of that jab. I think it was just the constant pressure with just enough movement where Strickland was never an easy target to be hit. And any time it looked like Hall was going to turn it on a bit, specifically in the tail end of that fourth round, 
it's like Strickland met that energy and just put a little bit more on top of it and 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 snuffed it out right away. And look, this was very impressive, Luke. Not, you know, there, we've seen guys show flashes, and uh, you know, and this is this is a tough level. The Uriah Hall level is tough, but we've seen guys show flashes, and then you put them in a five round environment, and you know, maybe they don't look as strong in the final two rounds. I thought this was absolutely thorough, and he was still going for the finish in the final minute of round five, meaning Strickland. So, uh, yeah, put the psychopath in there against everyone else, Luke. Let's see what happens. He's an interesting player. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. So what would you like to see him fight next? Do you have a, like, did a matchup stand out to you about where he could go? You know, he didn't hate the idea of a Kevin Holland fight, Luke. I want to know if you hate that idea. That would be high paced between two guys who don't give an F. That could be wild. Would that tell you though enough about like, we just learned what he is against the Uriah Hall level, a guy ranked eighth coming in four fight win streak, decorated history. Is Holland a step back in your eyes at this point? He is. He's ranked 14th, although I agree it would be fun. Another one you could do would be Kelvin Gastelum, Darren Till, Edmund Shabazian. These are kind of the people around the space that he's in. The Shabazian one's kind of interesting because, yes, Sean Strickland can mix it up. He can go to the ground and he can do ground and pound for sure. Um, but he puts pressure standing, and I wonder how a guy like Shabazian would deal with that. That'd be kind of interesting. Maybe that's a little bit too much too soon, but the Gastelum fight, the Darren Till fight, the only thing I would not necessarily say he bought himself with this win was like, oh, let's give him someone in the top five. I no. still no. feel like that six, seven to ten range, one more of those to really see. Uh, and then if that goes well, then yes, no doubt about if it. If you're He's UFC and they don't, seem to, they don't seem to, pl- to turn away from... from- giving people the the microphone or the or the spotlight if they're crazy. Do you think they play up as craziness, Luke, or just let it let let it play out how it's supposed to? No, I think that that's just who he is. Yeah, it used to be. I remember when Frank Mir said he wanted to have the first death in the octagon when he fought Brock Lesnar and he lost his well, you know, there's some debate about this, but soon thereafter his commentary gig was gone from WEC and you know, the yeah. UFC was very very worried about it. But now people are just kind of taking it for what it is, which is just you know, sort of insane talk. But um, I don't think they're amplifying it. I think that's just, that dude can't talk without that kind of thing happening. And then, you know, the video with him slapping or Orlando Sanchez or getting slapped or whatever it was, he's, he's a wild man. He's a total wild man. But I, I, I now, you know, would like to get him on the show, Luke. I want to find out, you know. But we'll, go, we'll, we'll, we'll match crazy and see who's, who's left standing. I, I kind of feel like it'll be him. So there were more announcements over the weekend, BC, but there were two that stood out that I wanted to talk about for today's show on point number four. First of them, well, I'll just say both of them. On the UFC side, Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje was announced. And on the Bellator side, Vadim Nemkov, your ranking Bellator light heavyweight champion, taking on Anthony Rumble Johnson. Okay, I'll just throw it to you, BC. Your reaction to these bouts being official and now scheduled? Well, let's separate them, Luke. First of all, that that's the Chandler Gaethje is about as sexy a fight as you can make in this entire sport. I mean, you tweeted it out. It's just obvious this is like fight of the year waiting to happen. Full-on savagery, a very important fight in the lightweight standings. And the fact that they're going to put it in Madison Square Garden, as the reports look like, Luke, uh, with that, what, what was the main event that they had... Uh, they had considered but Usman Covington Col- too. Colby and Usman too, yeah. I mean, that card, which, for, first of all, I love, with the exception of the, the Cormier-Derek uh, Lewis card, which had some fights fall out last minute. We didn't end up getting Poirier and Nate like we wanted. They have l- properly loaded up those MSG cards and kept that as a as a big, you know, 
tent pole, as, as Uncle Scott would say, every year, as they should, by the way, especially how long it took to get there. But, Luke, I mean, that, that fight is going to be freaking bananas. I can't even see it going past one round, Luke. I cannot friggin' wait to see that. Dude, you could almost put that as the main, as great a fight as Usman Covington 2 is, the hardcore fans wouldn't blink an eye if, if suddenly Gaethje Chandler was your main event. That is great shit. Thank you for booking that UFC. Yeah, I, I mean, Smear people were me. disagreeing with me. They're like, oh, that fight might last a round or go seven minutes. I'm like, well, first of all, you would then get round of the year. Second of all, there have been many fights that were just a round or a round and a half that ended up qualifying and even winning, well, depending on, on who's saying it, fight of the year. Like, that's in no way disqualifying to me that it's a little bit shorter. And yes, it, if it goes a minute or two because someone gets viciously KO'd, maybe not in that sense. But if it ends up going a round or a round and a half, I don't know why that would make it something that wouldn't be listed, at least on the on the short list for fight of the year. But you're talking about, I mean, understand what this bout is between Chandler and Gaethje. <laughs> you're talking about two guys who are generationally some of the most important action fighters uh, of our time here, right? Justin Gaethje easily fits that bill. Michael Chandler does as well. And what's notable, BC, going back to our previous conversation, these were guys who were kind of orbiting on the outside of, of the UFC, and they're able to meet by by coming together there. I think that's part of what the UFC's appeal is. It's like, if you really want to fight the best, what they're going to say is, uh, we can bring the talent here, so come here if that's what you want to do. Something to keep in mind. But to your point, it's impossible for that one short of injury or some kind of, you know unfortunate circumstance influencing it just a fight itself it's impossible that, that will be bad and then look at where, where it leads us i'd love the loser of that fight to fight tony ferguson i'd love the winner to yes. fight the winner of poirier and uh Oliveira. i mean i was that just about to say you could there's a million different ways you can go with that and if gaethje gets a win by the way you know with no more habib <clears throat> there gaethje versus poirier two is not oh, going to look God. like gaethje versus poirier one i have a strong feeling so Dude, there's this a is, lot of different things you could do that i mean that gets me legitimately i gotta look i am rock hard with emotion about where the top of the lightweight division is going right now in just terms of like hammer versus hammer arm and hammer luke i cannot wait for this but uh Switching gears to the Bellator fight announcement, Luke, I don't think it's just that fight. Look, this is a big night for Bellator. October 16th on Showtime in Phoenix. Uh, the next step in the light heavyweight World Grand Prix. Main event, Vadim Nemkov versus Rumble Johnson. Co-main event, heavyweight champ Ryan Bader versus Corey Anderson. And they obviously have a long history, uh, know each other very well. Luke, this is, you know, if you want to build momentum for Bellator coming off of this big night at 263... This is the right card. I know it's a couple months away, but dude, uh, Rumble versus Nemkov for the title, tournament or not, is appointment viewing. That is going to be some great theater because Nemkov is so much more a complete fighter at this point, and Rumble just got touched up by Jose Augusto, of all people, yet can end a fight at any freaking time and still looks to be as dangerous as shit. I cannot freaking wait for that fight. Yeah. Give me that. I, mean, I didn't. I'm not here to say that Bader versus Anderson is some kind of throwaway fight. It's not. But it's not in the same action vein as Chandler Gaethje, or even I would argue. I guess we'll have to see. But I guess it, it doesn't. On paper, it doesn't seem like it would deliver in the way that Nemkov versus Johnson might. We've been seeing in the praises again. Say the things 
when a promoter tries to lie to you and say that their bad things are good, you know, you got to call them out. But when they say that their good things are good and they're right, you got to back them up. Dude, Vadim Nemkov is the real deal Holyfield. Now, I don't know if he wins this fight, but I guarantee there's a good chance of it. Uh, number one. Number two, if he does win it, it might be via stoppage. This guy is as good as any top five light heavyweight on earth and maybe the very best one. He is a hammer. And Anthony Johnson, you rightly put it, couple of issues with that first fight. But in the end, the big power showed up and he dropped Jose Augusto or Jose Augusto like a bad habit. And here he is just giving Ryan Bader no space to breathe whatsoever. I mean, um, that fight is amazing. The first, amazing. The first seven minutes of that fight, Nemkov Rumble, are going to be incredible because if Nemkov takes Anthony Johnson into the into the deeper edge, he's going to gas him out. He's got a motor, Nemkov. He's you know he's fantastic on the ground. He's a great striker. But in that first seven minutes, Luke, Rumble can take your lunch and your credit card and your world title. He can knock your ass out. That's going to be great. Uh, give me that. Give me that shit, Luke. Please. Okay? It's very, very good. Uh, early, you, I give you the right to change your prediction over time. Do you have an early sense about either one of those fights? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the smart pick will be Nemkov based on the ease in which he did that to Bader, right, who is reformed and in a very good spot in his career. He should. He should be able to beat Rumble Johnson. But even though Rumble showed us some holes in that comeback from a long layoff due to retirement, um, there's still he's in great shape. There's, I mean, he's still going to be, uh, you know, he's going to have a shot here, Luke. Okay, he's not washed, is what I'm saying. Fair enough. All right. So point number five. Last but not least, there are a bunch of fights this weekend coming up, including but not limited to, uh, excuse me, UFC. I should say. 265 BC. Okay, in your main event, you got Derek Lewis taking on Cyril Gaon, but up and down the card, what you look, what it looks like to me is obviously with the departure of Amanda Nunes's fight against um, Juliana Pena, in the sense that there was at least two title fights on the card, it's it's lackluster in the sense that there's nothing really as a sales angle for pay per view. However, if it was a free fight night card, we'd be singing its praises for that. So in that spirit, BC, what fight are you most looking forward to? At a UFC 265. There's about three or four hardcore specials on this card. They're, they're very good fights, and they, they would fill out any strong pay-per-view card to get you excited. And that co-main event, which has now been bumped up due to Mandy falling off, is Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz. Look, that's a great fight. It's an important fight in the Bantamweight title standings, but that fight's going to be an absolute banger, Luke. I can't wait to see it. Jose rebounded very nicely against Marlon Vera after those high-profile losses and, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Luke. I love this older version of Jose, one weight class down, which I'm still shocked that he's able to make this weight and look mm -hmm. that good. He's a headhunter, man. I mean, he can finish a fight at any time. Uh, he's not as thorough as he was in his featherweight title days. You know, he's not committing to the leg strikes as much. But he is an absolute, as you would say, and we're abusing the term, hammer in there. And Pedro Munoz, historically, uh puts on exciting fights, and he's a tough out. And, you know, I'd like this fight even if they were both old and washed, but it still matters in the deepest division in the sport, which was we have now officially appointed Bantamweight just that, that I can't wait to see this fight. No doubt about it. I'm going to go with, you could go that one, Chiesa versus Vicente Luque. That one, the winner of that is probably going to be close to a title shot-ish. Um Obviously, Tisha Torres, Angela Hill should be a lot of fun. But the one I've got my eye on is the main event of the prelims because I know they're having a hard time getting guys to fight them. 
Uh, Rafael Fazayev taking on Bobby Green. Boy, that is a hell of a contest. Fazayev is one of these guys out of, uh, he's technically, um, he is Azerbaijani, but he was out of Tiger Muay Thai. And he was the one that did the huge lean, like, uh, like uh, what you call it, like Stylebender does when the kicks come. And just, you know, this incredible matrix-like display of agility and balance. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal striker. And I, I can tell you they've had a hard time matchmaking him. Bobby Green is the kind of guy who like just doesn't give a fuck. He can strike, he can wrestle. Now sometimes he wins when he should uh, have not. Maybe sometimes he loses when he should not have. He's a little bit all over the place, loose cannon ish, but he is very talented. And when he keeps his focus right, I think he's as good as anyone um, in the top fifteen of that division. This is a fun fight, Fazayev. If you're the better technician, and Fazayev probably believes that he is. This should be a very winnable fight, but Green has a way of making things complicated for those kinds of folks. It's a fin- it's a great test for, frankly, both guys, but for, for, for Zayev, who is looking to make a mark Fizayev in the UFC. Looks, looks legit, so I can't wait to see this fight. I, I'm even more excited, by the way, about that Song Yedong-Casey uh, Kenny Bantamweight fight, which, is, which opens the pay-per-view card. That's a fantastic one, Luke. I did want to ask you one question, storyline-wise, about this main event. <sighs> Should we make a decision now, you and I, as, you know, curmudgeon-y, crusty, when, it, when we should be MMA journalists who have rightfully sort of panned the, the interim title being at stake here for commercial reasons only? Are we completely not allowing ourselves to actually look at how good this fight could potentially be and how it's going to answer a lot of questions in this division? I mean, Cyril Gaon and Derek Lewis is a hell of a fight, but up to this point, Luke, every time I hear it or see it, I'm just sort of dismissive, like, ah, oh, fucking A, right? We got, a, we got an interim title on there. It's like a scarlet letter to me, Luke. Should I just get over that and get really excited about this fight? That's what the promoter wants you to do. It's up to you. I mean, I would say that there is a chance that it could be boring, it's possible that Gon could stick and move and never really put Lewis away. I tend to think that Gon's body work, we'll talk about this on Friday, I tend to think his body work will make a difference over time and it won't necessarily go the full distance. I, of course, we'll have to see. Obviously, Lewis has blinding power, so he lands one of those and forget about it. Listen, the fight is probably fine. It's an interesting test for Derek Lewis. Uh, it's an interesting test for Cyril Gon too, given his potential upside. At the same time, it's just not the one that should be happening. This is not a fight that um, the promoter should be making, especially not for a title anyway. He wanted to make it, that'd be one thing, but for a title, certainly... I don't think that's appropriate. You know, the, the real question here is where is Francis Ngannou? Shouldn't he be, not on this date per se, but shouldn't any kind of title implication be reserved for his return at a normal schedule? Like, what the promoter is basically doing is, listen, I'm going to let the passage of time kind of wash over everyone, and I'll probably give you a fight that could even be decent, if not even outright good, so that you'll forget about it. I don't want to, like, penalize Derek Lewis, and I want to penalize Cyril Gaon. They're just trying to live their lives the best way they know how, but kind of forgetting about all the baggage is exactly what the promoter wants you to do so they can keep doing this in the future. I would caution against that. Yeah, caution. Uh, I Luke, I have to lament. My, my girl Carolina Kovalkiewicz is on here coming off four straight defeats. A winnable fight against Jessica Penne, who also yes. you know could need a win here, but it's tough to see that original, you know, class of the tough season. I don't even remember if Carolina was in that tough season, but that original strawweight class, right? The original fighters that filled out the the title fights and Carolina, let's not forget, pushed Joanna deep in that absolute five-round war in which Joanna may have won, but she was the one heading to the hospital and Kovalkiewicz was the one doing smiley interviews afterwards. Uh, you know, this she's in a tough spot here at 35. Needs a win badly. It's certainly not the same fighter she once was. It, it's tough to see 
an original division of fun names start to age out. We're seeing that now. It, it is what it is, Luke. It's the life cycle of sport. But uh, Yeah, you know. it's winnable for either of those two ladies, Kovalkiewicz or Penny, but it, it's kind of like uh, it's a little life raftish, raftish in terms of what it gets you. Uh, okay, so that is it for our top five, BC. So it is time for us to not ask each other questions so much as it is for the viewers to ask us. It's time for DMs from Diggity Dogs. Yeehaw. Mm. As I drink my gross concoction. All right. Uh, here we go. From uh, Osoldaco. I don't know how the fuck you pronounce this. Thoughts on the post-fight interviews from McKee and Pitbull? Well, Pitbull, I, I think, only spoke to the media afterwards. I don't think they interviewed him in the cage. Did they? They, they did. I skipped it. No, they didn't. Uh, but they interviewed AJ as well. What did you think about what the stuff they had to say after the fight? Uh, yeah, I watched the Pitbull sat down for about five minutes. And, um, you know, he did say that he had more fight left in him and, and thought that the fight shouldn't have been stopped. He didn't overly protest it, which I thought was, you know, respectable. Uh, he, he said, look, I'll be back from it. I, I'm unlike other fighters. Every fighter says they'll be back from a big loss, but I actually will be. I'll be better than this. And, Luke, his history has shown that. Boy, does Pitbull improve from defeats and figure out, you know, what he needs to fix. Although you do have to question in this matchup, there's a big size differential between these two. So uh, it's always going to be an uphill battle against somebody like A.J. McKee. But, you know, I thought he fielded it well. I think one specific reporter asked, uh, because he had his son next to him, about teaching his son about the lessons of defeat. And I thought Pitbull fielded that well. He was respectful. He was the champion we expected him to be, Luke. He didn't come out here and talk junk or play up the, you know, the questionable stoppage too much. So... That is what that is, Luke. He played it well. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, like, uh, Eric Albarcin. If they really hated that stoppage, I feel like he would have texted me 50,000 times over the yes. weekend, and he didn't, so. He would have sent you so that. many drunken videos with those weird glasses, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. All right. From Dylan J. Moran, AJ McKee versus Alex Volk and Max versus Pitbull. Who comes out on top for each of those two matchups, in your opinion? By the way, AJ McKee saying a fight with Max Holloway is his dream. See, I got to tell you, that's I definitely like Volkanovski to beat McKee. I just think at this stage of the game, he's a little bit too tough to beat. Pitbull's 34 against Holloway's jab and reach. It's an interesting one. What do you think? Yeah, Matt, or just... Uh, AJ had said Holloway was always his dream fight, and those styles against each other would be absolutely incredible. Although it's easy to say that you would like Volkanovski's chances of, uh, of you know, diffusing what Pitbull does great. They'd be a lot closer in size, Luke, than some of these other matchups. That that could be an absolute banger because yeah. your, your, boy can, your boy Alex can throw, too. So that could be... Uh, yeah, the better matchup to me would be McKee-Holloway and then Volkanovski-Pitbull. I yes. think that's a better pairing. Why? Is the question asking it differently? Yeah, the question is asking McKee-Volkanovski... And then Holloway versus Pitbull. In that case, I'd probably side with both UFC guys, maybe. But if you switched it a little bit, where it's McKee versus Holloway, a little more open, I think that's a winnable fight for either guy. So you're not I still ready like Volkanovski to, to beat Pitbull, but that that's a close fight too. True. So you're not ready to say you think McKee could beat everybody in the world at 145. I think on the right night he probably could. I just feel like at 26, without having him really fully, when I say tested. He's tested in the sense that they lined up difficult opponents for him and he knocked them all down. He's somewhat untested, somewhat, somewhat, 
in the in those in the trench moments where you have seen Pitbull climb himself out of Saturday notwithstanding. Yeah. You know, you just don't know exactly when someone dude, here's the rule with MMA and everyone gets behind someone and says this is not true. I go through it with every generation of fan, not saying you, but like the last one I had to deal with this one was McGregor. Here's how this goes, folks. Eventually, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not a year from now, maybe not even two years from now, although it could happen then, someone is going to put it on AJ McKee. Someone is going to start hurting him in a fight, right? And the question is, what is he going to do about it? And I don't know what way he'll be hurt. Maybe it's to the legs, to the body, whatever. He'll get rocked, something. It happens in MMA every single time to every single fighter. Maybe Habib would be the one guy who didn't get super rocked. But I don't know that we're talking about McKee with the same level of Habib reverence. So the question is, what does he do when someone does that to him? Um, and plus, Habib like physically controlled you. AJ McKee is happy to stand apart. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. He'll probably well, yeah. fucking shine, but we just I mean, don't know. We kind of have to see him go five rounds first before we can comment on 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 any of this. You know, I mean, right? Exactly. So many of these fights have played to his strengths completely so we do have to see yeah yeah it's easy to look you know me i love flashy packaging i love to put the cart before the horse luke i love emotions right you know and and aj's got me feeling those emotions you know deeper than i've ever felt before but i got even i gotta put the pause on there and say you know you're telling me it's gonna go five with with volkanovsky i I still might pick the you know the, the down under wonder so there's it there it is luke all right, from at Pinky Songha 8 who will be your next resume review victim? 6-0, Luke. 6-0, brother. Okay, what are you going to say yeah. about that? Okay, what, do you, what should we do? We go after COVID? Where are we going with this? <laughs> the COVID resume? That's a hell of a resume. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's any big one yet, because the problem is we've done, like you could do one for Kamaru, I suppose, but it feels a little bit early. Right, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, People Francis want, still Huawei, wouldn't make a lot Luke. of sense. They want huh? Dustin ahead of the Oliveira fight. That's what I've heard from the people. <laughs> the, the one that I have the sight set on is John Jones. That's the one that uh, uh, because I knew well, here, I, I knew on, you were on. still I knew you were still holding that two fourteen. No, no, no. Someone, by the way, someone on my live chat brought up some kind of quote that I had right around the time that he blew up all the plans for UFC two hundred. And someone was like, well, maybe this is what you said that pissed him off. I read it, and it was like, and I said on the air, like, there's zero a chance I would apologize for any of this. So, uh, no, I, I, dude, that bridge is burned. It's gone. It, it'll never come back. But uh, this is the thing that folks lose about resume review. It, it's not We're not doing it as like a prediction engine. Like, we don't put the names in and be like, oh, we're focusing on this guy because we think he'll win. It's not. Both of us picked Kamaru to beat Jorge. But we still did the resume review on Jorge. Why? Well, dude, his career story is just a lot more interesting. It is. The guy started fighting in the streets with Kimbo Slice, for fuck's sake. And he was kind of always that other dude until he goes on this journey in the woods, comes out, starts knocking everyone the fuck out in the most violent fashion. And uh, yes, it didn't work out for him up until the point where we did the resume review for him. But we're trying to tell interesting stories through resumes that have been around for a while. Well, dude, John Jones has been kicking everyone's ass for a long while. This dude was on my radio show when he was still part of Team Bomb Squad in New York State back in 2008. I mean, we're talking 2021, and he's still a super relevant, if somewhat departed figure. 
Like, how would you not do a resume review on him? And whether you want to believe in some kind of magic and tooth fairy and whatever, you're allowed to do that, you or anybody else. But the reality is, and BC, for just a 30 seconds of seriousness, we're trying to tell the stories of people who are on the precipice of great things that have interesting uh, professional lives that deserve to be retold. I don't regret doing one for Pitbull at all. In fact, I'm quite glad we did, especially now that he's lost. At least there is this record that you can show someone of what he did. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I think a you know boo boo wild thing resume review might be a little more interesting than John at this point. But uh, you know, just so people know, we don't get together and go which fighter do we like the least. Let's curse right. him. But Luke, it is getting to the point now at six and zero oh where. If we have we we may we have a responsibility, Luke. It's like you know you, you're a gun owner, you, you got to keep that shit locked up. Like we have a responsibility. Look, this is a we're this is a dangerous thing we're playing with here. So see, I, see, um, I don't think we have any control over it. I think the fighters do, but I will say this: I don't. There's no one that stands out to me right now. I can't think of an obvious candidate. Can you? I won't let you do one on Rose. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. <laughs> Not doing it. Not doing it, bro. Not, not doing it. Uh, no, yeah, but John Jones is the big one. When he comes back, we're going to do one on John Jones for sure. But So and we've done way, six, and the, the favorite, we, we've done six of them three times on the underdog, three times on the favorite, which is interesting. That's interesting, yeah. I will say that part is interesting. Uh, the other thing is we got to do one on Amanda Nunes at some point too, BC. We haven't done one on any kind of women fighters yet. The other thing we could do, though, is... If to make people happy, we could do one on like a fighter that's already retired, like a Ronda Rousey or something, you know? Well, then you're going to kill him, Luke. I mean, well, there's nothing left to lose at that point. It'll, it'll be like Final Destination. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, it, it would be okay. Every time we do one now, whether you want to talk about the curse or not, Luke, and I know you don't, we are putting the it's curse. Not, it, here's, hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, hold no, on, no, no, no. Just bite your tongue. We know what you're going to say. We get it's it. It's not Luke, even about that. It. I don't okay, even know what to point. say. I don't know what to say about it. I honestly don't know what to say because it's obviously ridiculous. Like, okay, you guys so want I'm, me to discuss Santa Claus with you? I can't. I can't do that. Okay, so what I'm saying is like, when we every time we do one now at this point, since it's six and zero, oh, we are testing it. We are we are challenging it. Could you freaking imagine if we did Amanda Nunes ahead of any you know anything short of Shevchenko, right? If we did it in the Pena fight or GDR or what like whatever, and then she lost, Luke. I'm sorry, Luke. You would have to come out and be like, guys, it's more powerful than I thought it was. Like, I, I am like, it's like they were when I when we filmed it, it was a mugwai. Now it's a gremlin, bro. Like, I, what are we going to do? Right. Right. But the opposite would be if we did one on Amanda and she broke it, they'd be like, oh, of course, Amanda's the one to break it. But then if we did another one on someone else who has a lesser status than literally the greatest women's fighter ever. They would say it's back on. Like, there's no the only way to beat it, so to speak, to beat it, at least to beat the perception, I should say, would be for it to go relatively even over time, which I suspect over time it will. Uh, it's just going to take a little while. All right. Uh, I don't even get this next question at all. At drink hot tea with me, does LT like watching old guys competing at the Olympics in weightlifting to keep his dreams of becoming an Olympian at an elder age alive? BC, I don't know who the fuck he's talking about. There's no one old weightlifting at the Olympics who's a who's a dude. Who who the fuck would that be? I don't know, they're, Luke. I've, they're I've all in their twenties and early thirties. I haven't been watching much Olympics this round, Luke. You know? I don't no. Know. What if you when you usually watch the Olympics? What do you watch? Well, what's, you what's know, your go to? Okay, the best events are this in my mind: sprinting and track and field, without question. 
100 percent right. i agree number two and my wife pushes me into it but then i get hooked i'm sorry female gymnastics is, is exciting as balls it is what it is luke it's and, i like it i like it and elite swimming right i mean elite swimming is is incredible those are my three in the past i've been a monster team usa men's basketball fan i've kind of lost a little bit of interest in that but yeah that that's my core luke what else are you you moved by wrestling is big obviously wrestling is big i like judo but i don't like the rules all that much which kind of make it not as good as it could be um but the weightlifting is big i i think what he's talking about is i've posted pictures of an old dude not pictures videos of an old dude by the name of Randy Kudlub, who is the co-founder of Kabuki Strength. They make a lot of different kinds of unique equipment and whatnot. Um, he's 72, and he did uh, some powerlifting recently. But, you know, that was, like, not on a grand stage like the fucking Olympics. The Olympics, dude, if you... I mean, the oldest competitor I can think of at the Olympics on the male side who did anything is Lu Xiaojun, who is maybe one of the best to ever do it in any weight class. He got gold, and he's 37, but he's fucking super bricked up. That's as old as it gets, dude. Like that's, and even that is fucking rare. Thirty-seven is very old um, for weightlifting at an elite level. So this dude is obviously just very confused because there are no old dudes lifting Do in the Olympics at all. There's as much consummation in the Olympic Village this time around due to the COVID scare as normal. Yeah, no one's actually. I, I'm guessing no one's actually getting COVID, but they're getting all kinds of gonorrhea. <laughs> Fauci gonorrhea, like the truly Fauci's first undefeated plague. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Last but not least, from Taekwon Dude Memes. That's his name. If you could wake up in the world of any TV show, Ooh. which show would you want to live in? Fuck me. Um, does the Emmanuel series count on Showtime back in the day, Luke, or what? I mean, is does that the- uh, yeah, does Bang Bus count? Um, <laughs> um I, well. Uh, I mean, I don't want to live on a TV show, bro. I mean, all all the best TV shows involve like drama and Death, violence. Murder, you know, I don't yeah. really want to live in that, Luke. Right? Would you want to live in a sitcom? I mean, can I be a part of the Seaver family on Growing Pains? I don't know. I, the, oh, you know what? I would be a part of the nine zero two one zero that Tiffany Amber is. Thiesen was on. There, there you it go. is. You nailed it. I, I wanted to be part of that friend circle big time, Luke. And I would have yeah. exposed uh, Brian A. Green or uh, B. A. Green, Brian Austin Green, as as what was his character's name? David Silver. I would exposed him as an absolute like weirdo. I know he got cool and he started banging Donna and he was like the the school DJ and he was he could sing and did yo he was a nerd, bro. And I. Really remember it because i watched episode one from back in the day he used to hang out with that blonde kid that shot himself luke yo i would expose ba green right away and challenge him to fight on the first day of school no question about it i just want to put a knife between the sixth and seventh floating rib right through the lung so he can't scream when i when i when i knife him from behind yeah that's what i'm talking about okay <laughs> yeah but but you picked the right year when when, when valerie malone arrived luke it, <laughs> boners bro you know a- a- apex predator Apex Predator yes. is what I would yes. say. All right, BC, we go from uh, discussing AJ McKee's win to our childhood lusty fantasies of Tiffany Amber Thiessen. With that in mind, why don't you take away the silly portion of today's show? All right, sir? what we do every Monday, it's the, really the highest rated uh, segment in, in, in really the Internet's history. We scour the globe for the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs and lows, and in between from combat sports and beyond. And this is a great batch of shit this week, Luke. It's have you seen this shit? Yes. Oh, God. Oh, Luke, you didn't do that this time. Oh. 
Oh, God, I got the fart needles. Oh, God. All right, Bellator 263. Never mind what I'm getting. Go ahead, sorry. Los Angeles. I think we actually ran this vid earlier, so it's a little redundant, but here's AJ McKee celebrating with that bubbly, Luke. You deserve yeah. a kid, all right? Looking good yeah, right this, there. That's, that's me after five minutes on Perb City. <laughs> Five minutes, really? Uh, Luke, uh, no 50 cent this time. Sorry, I lied. 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Please. Uh, no 50 cent this time to hand out the uh, the champagne. I don't know what happened there. Maybe we had a falling out. Let's keep it rolling from uh, from 263. Khabib's husband, Usman Nurmagomedov. Look at this jackknife knee to the body Luke. of Manny Morrow. Luke, he's nasty, bro. He looked good, dude. He looked really good. His takedowns were slick. Total. Uh, he was in complete control. Now, granted... This opponent was a nice kid, but he's very overmatched. Nurmagomedov was supposed to look good, but I'm telling you, man, this guy, I'd be very surprised if he's not wearing Bellator gold at some point. He's going to be wearing a gold, Bellator gold. Uh, Habib was 4-0 on Saturday. Another one of his protégés, Gadzi Rabadanov, Luke. He sent Daniel look Carey. At the, look at this left hook. I mean, oh, perfectly God. timed. Smash Jesus. indeed. Look, that Smesh Factory is just working all night, <laughs> churning out uh, new daggies here. This watch is, this. Watch this, man. Watch this. This guy sets it up, and he just times it perfectly. Check. Oh, God. Dude, One brilliant. hitter, quitter. Boom. Watch the head go. Bop. There. Oh, man, that's a nice shot. That's some brilliant shit. Let's go over to UFC Fight Night in Vegas. Luke, unfortunately, on Friday, inaugural flyweight champ Nico Montano was trying to weigh in for her bantamweight bout at 135. Luke, she came in at 143, mm. and the fight got scrapped. Luke, I, I kind of wonder if this is the end, right? You know what? Here's what I'll say about Nico. I've interviewed her a few times. I, I do think genuinely she's a nice person. I do think genuinely she she cares. I think she's had a hard life. I think she's had a really hard past few years, um, no doubt about it. The thing that got me was afterwards she put out a statement. You know, Because if you come in seven over, you know as well as I do, BC. You come in one over, hey, that happens. You come in two, maybe three over. You could have been more disciplined. Maybe it was short notice, whatever. You come in seven over where you're almost at the next weight class. You either have an injury that you didn't disclose or something went terribly wrong in the whole yeah. process. So she put out a statement later, and it was rather lengthy. But one of the things she was saying was because of all the harm she's done from weight cutting and blah, 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 it's just harder for her metabolic rate to be in a position where she can keep the weight off of her um, even though she's eating a lot less. And I'm like, here's the thing for me, man. It's like if someone was telling me I couldn't do this show anymore or even MMA stuff anymore – and I had to go figure something out. That would be very, very hard for me. Like I would, I, I, I don't know what I would do. Quite frankly, I mean, I'd figure it out, but I'm sure it'd be extremely difficult. So, I, I, I don't want to be the guy, but like you should go do something else. At the same time, if this was my sister, and I'm trying to think about it like that, like somebody I cared about a lot. She was telling me that her ability to, like, she couldn't even eat food and lose the weight because her metabolism was so wrecked from years of weight cutting, whatever else, I would tell her to stop jeopardizing her health. I would say that I don't, or, or move up a weight class or, or something. Because, dude, she used to fight at 125. She got, for 135.5, she weighed 143. Yeah, something I don't, is terribly I don't pile wrong. on, Luke, because I always felt she got a raw deal. I never even thought that that title should have been created at that time, nor use the tough model system and then they stripped her you know where it didn't make sense look do you remember when they originally were going to book nico against shevchenko and she shevchenko was like a minus you know eighty-six thousand favorite i mean that that would have been bad that would have been very bad 
That yeah. would have been ugly. All right, let's keep it going, UFC. Hey, Luke, Coach Edmund has another Armenian hammer. His name is Melsik Bogdasarian. And look at this head kick in his UFC debut against Colin Anglin. Hell of a finish here. This kid looked good. The only criticism I would have, and it's very mild. I want to point that out. It's very mild. He throws everything with evil intention, yeah. which is fine at the stage of the career that he's in. But against the better guys, that won't be enough to put him away. And so you have to have a second and third level where you've got the cardio that, to last and everything else. He's still working it out, no problem. He was unbelievable that night. But to get to the next level, which he's got all the talent to do, some change is going to have to be in order. But that yeah. night, he was he was unbeatable. Good head movement, too. Absolutely. Look, your brethren mm. shining on this one. Let's go over to Jared Gordon in the welterweight division. You see this right-hand KO of Nicholas Stoles. Ooh. Oh. Took Ooh, the that... angle and then set up it up right right with a straight down the pike. That was beautiful. That was face You see how, you see how he stepped out? You like this guy, Luke? He, um, I like this. Watch, he steps out. Let's see. Bop. Oh, just double jabbed his way to the outside and then fired the right hand home. Yeah, that was really nice. I like guys who can set stuff up, man. I think they're the ones who are built for the long haul. And Luke, somebody we're going to be talking about a lot on this show because I think she's my new favorite fighter. Uh, Strawweight Cheyenne Bays had a hell of a vicious finish in the co-main event after about 18 fights got canceled, Luke, against Gloria DePaula. Look at that, Luke. Mm. Dude, I said it on Twitter. This was a mean stoppage. When you're elbowing someone from Mount, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, dude, that is that is. Fuck, she well, look, was. She's a she's a mean fighter. <laughs> look, let's be honest. I mean, you know, the, we'll get into the fighter pay stuff later, where she had a lot to fight for here. But this is that's some brutal ish. And then after the finish, let's check out the celebration dance. Luke, can you can you give style points on this? Oh, oh yeah. money <laughs> in the club, dude. You know what's amazing about this fight is she hits her with the kick as she's getting up, and then pushes her down and moves to mount and then elbows her. It looked like a schoolyard fight. I mean, it wasn't. I don't mean to say that they they don't have more like capability than that. It just played out that way, where it almost looked like they were battling in a parking lot. And uh, Jesus, Bays was. I mean, she couldn't be beat that night. You may remember Bays, not only the husband of J.P. Bays, who's a UFC fighter, but Luke, do you remember when Bays beat Montserrat Cornejo Ruiz and told her that she would meet her in the parking lot after, or she'd follow her home afterwards? Uh, uh, yeah, she was, I think she meant it. She was asked about that this week at the press conference. Let's go to the audio here. Fuck her, but, you know, on to the next one. I think we were all curious. Did you, in fact, follow that bitch home? Frustrated yeah, yeah, yeah. with how that one went. Best part of the fight. Oh, man, the staff was on my ass as soon as I left that cage. You know, the the thing was that was disgusting was, obviously, the girl spat at me and called me an effing puta, but not even our coaches shook my hand or my coach's hand, you know. They were all cowards in my eyes for the night, and I still think so. And, no, I did not get to follow her, but when I see her, she better step up. Do you like it's? I mean, I guess maybe not among casual fans, but among hardcores, that's a pretty well quoted line. It's become a little bit famous. I mean, do you do you like that? That's a part of your reputation, or do you think, oh, I wish I, I wouldn't have said that? Not at all. I'm real. I'm 100% real. I'm human. If you're gonna disrespect me like that when I gave you nothing but respect, you bet your ass I want to slap the shit out of you after the fight. I mean, what pisses me off the most is you shook my hand at weigh-ins, knowing damn well what you were gonna do after the fight. That right there has coward written all over it. Bitch. Wow, Luke. Damn, uh, bro. 
Shout out to John Morgan for asking the hard questions there. But uh, <laughs> Luke, she's she's pretty real. She's pretty real, dude. Well, you better show up with flowers on Valentine's Day. Good Lord. Yeah, she she brought it right there. Uh, more on her to come because it was an interesting story here. Let's go to outdoor MMA, Luke. The promotion is called Strelka Street Fights, and this is literally pounding sand, Luke. <laughs> Dude, hands down, eats a head kick from hell, uh, yeah. and then just flops back. He does the, He testified in church. Yeah, see that? this is what happens if you get the 30 days free of showtime and you don't like it. Okay, this is what happens, Luke. All Listen, right? maybe yeah. he was just feeling the gospel of the Holy Ghost, BC. It's possible. All right, let's go to the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Judoka Martina Trajdos of Germany getting fired up by her coach before this event, Luke. What kind of... <laughs> to quote Dude. Chris Rock, I'll never hit a girl, but I'll shake the shit out of her, Luke, right? Let me tell you something. Those, those judo geese are super thick. You can probably shake the shit out of someone that way. And, you know, listen, a little bit of pop-pop like that, hey, oh that's good God. stuff. That's that's assault, brother. Wow. Let's keep it going here. Olympic boxing light heavyweight Imam Katayev of Russia. Oh, oh look at that, Luke. Oh, 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 oh. I didn't see that one. Made him do the stanky oh. leg. and then he, Oh, yeah. to the dude from Spain? Poor bastard. Yikes. All right. Let's go over to Moroccan boxer Yunus Bala. Luke, he's going all Tyson Holyfield on him right here. Take wow. a bite out of crime. Wow. You know, maybe he was just hungry. Maybe he needed a Snickers. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you see AJ McKee trying to get that Snickers sponsorship? He you was, know, it was he was trying. That was the, you know what? That was the one miss. That he was, was like, he Snickers, was, are you not satisfied? I'm like, I know you I know you planned that in the mirror, AJ. And I don't know if it's going to work. Hope, maybe, I hope it does work for him. But if it doesn't, I'm going to call him, call him on it. Look, this may or may not be the same era as the Dream Team running circles around Angola, but check out Drew Holiday here of Team USA schoolballing this guy right through oh, the wickets. Man. Yeah, people don't understand what it was like when the Dream Team was there. It was like, honestly, the Globetrotters versus the Washington <laughs> Senators, whatever they're called. But uh, every once in a while, you'll get a good moment here on the international scene. Uh, Eddie Hearn resurrected his fight camp at Matchroom Sport headquarters, Luke, outside of London on Saturday. And your boy, Avni Yildirim, fresh off the Canelo loss, got carved up by Jack Cullen. Luke, this was a super middleweight title eliminator. Cullen beat the bags off of him for 12 rounds with that speedy jab. Luke, do you know mm. Cullen's nickname? Little Leavers Meat Cleaver. That's his nickname. I post this on here to expose the ridiculousness of boxing's mandatory system. Your boy, Avni, Luke, is fading away pretty quickly here. Nice win. Yeah. All right. Let's keep it rolling here. Elite Fighters won in Poland. Luke, this was a bizarre MMA event in which uh, Grabaka Hitman was all over it. Luke, they had a three-on-one match, and it uh, <laughs> it went exactly how you would guess it would. Luke, poor poor bastard here. Um. So what? does he become a member of the Bloods or Crips after that? <laughs> Yeah, this is the initiation, Luke. Um, I, this is this very similar to your frat boy uh, pledge night, I'm sure. But uh, uh, what? Who? Why? Why, Luke? Why? Are they all? Are they all gonna bang now? <laughs> also on this card, Luke, check out this pre-fight dance by this Polish fighter. You into I saw this? this. I saw this. I, and I was thinking about this. My wife watches Love Island. And my only hope for my daughter is that she oh just my doesn't God. do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Look, just, I, I, pole, I was thinking to myself, please. I'm like, I hope my daughter, like, my daughter does not have to be on the Scripps National Spelling Bee or be an Olympian or anything like that. 
Just don't do that. Yeah, don't don't, do don't go to the poll. Oh, wow. Manich saying Love Island UK is severely underrated. He's got a lot of time on his hands. All right. Yeah. One championship. Maybe less Love Island UK, more books there. Manich. Manich. One championship battleground, Luke. Did you see the Burmese Python Ong La Insong? You know our boy, the New Year's guy. Send in Leandro. Yeah, old Lang Syne here will fucking put hands on you. That dude is very, very good. Is he the best light heavyweight on earth? No, but he's good. It's a new year indeed. New day? All right, Luke, let's go over to former former Cuban Olympic wrestler Gustavo Ballart with the flying groin strike on Ryoto Dragon Boy Sawada. Luke, this was men's strawweight. I thought at first it was like like small people wrestling, but Luke, it's – it's men's straw weight. Will this pick up and the UFC get involved? What do you think? There are smaller weight classes. There's also women's uh, atom weight, which is 105. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a big market for it outside of Latin America or Asia, but who knows? Yeah, Dana's, Dana's not employing these guys anytime soon. All right, summer concert season is heating up, Luke. Here's Jorge Masvidal appearing at a Steve Aoki show and throwing some cake at the fans. Luke, what the heck is this about? Uh, COVID? Yeah, yeah, more or less. More or less, Luke. Okay. Uh, Aoki is what? A famous DJ of some some range? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think I've seen him, his name circulated in that way. All right, Luke. Speaking of COVID, Greater Chicago area had a super spreader event called Lollapalooza. That's Fred Durst dressed up as Kenny Rogers, Luke. And did you see this Olympic skit show? Can we zoom in on that, please, Manich? Look at the friggin' crowd, Luke. Wow. wow. This is why we can't have nice things in this country. I'm so glad I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not glad that I'm old, but I'm glad that, like, I don't have peers pressuring me to go to this shit. Because I probably would have done it, you know? I'm How many masks do you think were there, Luke? How many masks? Huh? You think there were any masks in that crowd? Only for robberies. Okay. <laughs> All right, all right. That crowd was on fire, Luke. And speaking of, let's go over to the soccer pitch. What the hell's going on here, Luke? So I've not seen this, but is uh, is there is there a Turkish team playing? I have no idea. I'm a little nervous about it. What the? I mean, this this doesn't look safe, Luke. Is there any survivors? No, it's not. Dude, I, again, I don't know. If these are the Turks or somebody else. I'll just say this: if you don't, if you, for folks who don't know, the Turkish uh, super fans are famous, famous for lighting shit on fire and flares at the game and whatnot. Like, that is what... Dude, did I ever tell you that I saw a rivalry in Turkey? This is true, bro. It was uh, Galatasaray versus Fenerbahce, which is, like, maybe the biggest one in all of Turkish soccer. And I saw a dude chasing another dude with a donor kebab sword. You know what a donor kebab sword is? You ever seen those, like, at the fair, those racks of lamb that turn and they shave it and it comes down and they put it in the pita and then they serve it to you? Yeah, it's but it's disgusting. like that. It's like that long or something. That motherfucker had it by the handle and was chasing another guy with it for you know having the audacity to be the fan of a rival team. They don't fucking play over in Istanbul, boy. Let me tell you. I once saw a guy with one arm beat up a guy with one leg at a Dave Matthews concert, Luke, on the lawn <laughs> at the Meadows in Hartford. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty legendary. All right, Luke, let's go. PBC on Fox from Newark. This had to be one of the worst. Uh, uh, Fox cards ever, Luke. But in the main event, Michael Coffey, the heavyweight prospect and former Marine, Luke, he got lit up by late replacement Johnny Rice, a 13-6 and six record. Yet Johnny Rice sent, sent old Coffey to hell here, Luke. Yeah, Coffey, I was checking him out on Instagram ahead of this fight, you know, thinking he was just going to walk through. Dude, he got tore up the entire time. 
Um, he didn't get stopped in the way that, like, you know, he got flatlined or anything. But by the time it happened, I wasn't opposed to it. I, Semper Fi, but that's a bad loss. Yeah, on the undercard, former lightweight prospect Carl Dargan came back after a long layoff. Look at this uppercut KO on Ivan Delgado here. Dargan has his back to the road. Look at that. Whew. Man, that's like that uppercut that, uh, what you call it, that uh, Tank Davis hit on Leo Santa Cruz. Yeah, uh, Dargan, of course, Luke, married to rapper Lil Mo. I don't know if you know that. No, I don't know who that is. Okay. Let's keep it rolling here, Luke. This is from last week. we got to play the audio. At BKFC, Hector Lombard confronted Tyron Woodley for violation of the bro code. Let's go to this. Yeah, Dave Feldman, get in there. Luke, to, qu- to quote Showtime so Hector Brendan Lombard Schaub. Yeah? is accusing him of trying to fuck his side chick? All yeah, I we know have is to- double audio, Manich. Yeah. There t- we go. There we go. That's not embarrassing at all, that double audio. All right, Luke, to quote uh, Brendan Schaub, uh, that's not how Eskimo brothers should treat each other, Luke. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the story is there. I mean, I don't really want to get into people's personal business about who they're fucking in this this world. So, like, I don't, you know. How about we just it, make fun of people's weightlifting form, Luke? Let's go over to heavyweight champion Tyson Fury. Is this good or bad? I couldn't figure it out, so I figured I'd ask you, Luke. Um, you know, it's not great, but it's hard to tell. I can't quite. His back is rounding like a son of a bitch. He's. It looks like he's doing like Romanian deadlifts, which. A little more straight leg, I I can't quite tell. Um, okay, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a it's not great, but he might not have that much weight on there. I don't know. Look, we always say in regional MMA anything can happen, even a rainstorm. Luke, check out these two fighters having to deal with the slickness here. I saw this one live. Oh my god, what is happening, dude? Yeah, keep having outdoor MMA doofuses. All right, uh, let's go over to uh, the pizza parlor, Luke. You never know when a great fight can break out. Watch this, dude. This one was great. They got, they got. This is this reminds me of the dudes in Turkey with the donor kebab swords. Yes, they got the little, they got the little shovel that comes with the handle for the pizza. You think that was over a girl, Luke? No, I guarantee this was over. Like, hey, there it is. Get that sword. Get that fucking thing. Ba ba (laughs) ba. I, Let me I explain told you something to you. No anchovies. Yes. There was a, there was a story. I, I remember. I think it was the McDonald's on West Fourth, which is right by these basketball courts in the uh, in in Greenwich Village in in NYC. Uh, I remember there was someone who who like I, I could have had the address wrong, but there was somebody who like was like bitching at the McDonald's employees, then jumped the register, and one of the dudes he was definitely excessive. He took out this thing that looked like a wavy sword that must have been for like God knows what. And he began to hit this woman with it. And like, there were other women being like, stop, stop. You can hear it. I'm not saying he wasn't excessive with it, but I also have a rule. Let me explain something to you. If I'm working minimum wage at fucking McDonald's and you jump the cash <laughs> register because you don't like the customer service, 
I'm going to bang your over the head with every fucking metal object I can find. I don't give a shit who you are. Fuck it's like, call people, me man. whatever you want, but you come onto the palace floor, Jermaine O'Neal's going to knock you the 100%. hell out of this, okay? If you want that smoke, don't... Yeah, listen, if you try to piss somebody off and scare them, do not be surprised when you succeed. When that, when that lady got beat, he definitely he laid it into her a little too much, but like as a general rule, don't come over the counter. Don't do it. Uh, Luke, it's rate that tat time. This isn't Mr. Hebos, but Jessica Rose Clark had her image. Uh, somebody wanted a tattoo of her on their uh, thigh. Luke, your thoughts? It's actually pretty good. I mean, I can. I, I, my vision is not is not clear. So Jessica Rose, yeah, that's good. That's actually very good. Um, it's a little dark, but that's because it's new. So when it, it heals, it will lighten up a little bit. And obviously, the the nature of the photograph on the leg is going to make it hard to uh, du- duplicate. But um, Jessica Rose Clark has, she's like a real tattoo enthusiast. She's got some really good ones. She does a lot of uh, American traditional stuff. And uh, she's part of this brand called Notorious Bastards who are kind of really into artsy sort of style of tattoos. You know, the face tattoo is not a personal choice that I would make, but that's a, that's a, decent, that's a decent tattoo right there. All right. Hey, let's go over to the amateur wrestling mats, Luke. Uh, there's two guys wrestling here, and one of them is rock hard with emotion. Luke, what do you call this move? Fellatio? <laughs> yeah, a blowjob. I mean, I'm not sure what you want me to call it. Um, <laughs> they fucking. <laughs> wow. Is that a north-south, Luke? I don't know. I mean, what is going on here? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. All right. Luke, I got one more for you. We were able to get into the DeLorean and, and head to the future. This is Luke Thomas in 10 years. First of all, he's not nearly <laughs> fat enough. God bless this man. You know what this guy's like? Free fun. Lunch with Free a view, fun. Luke. Yes, yes. I mean, can right. you blame him? Look at these women. He's like, let me get a slice with an LBB, please. Uh, uh, big Look at BBL. That. Sorry, BBL. Dude, on wouldn't the side you want to stare? I mean, this guy's. You know. <laughs> no, but dude, first of all, that's you with the dyed hair. Number one. Oh come on. Come on. I'm, I'm staying gray, Luke. Stay gray, okay? There we go. All right, that's the shit for the week. That's all I got, Luke. All right, that's it. Uh, all right, with that in mind, let's go back to uh, odds and ends, BC. What do you have for odds and or ends? Yeah, look, this was an emotional win for Cheyenne Bays. Um, I want to play a couple clips here and, and, and talk about this quick and bring this story to light. This was her reaction uh, to getting the $50,000 bonus, Luke, uh, from her victory, which was bumped up to the co-main event. We talk about fighter pay and how much it costs for these fighters to even try to train and live. This is an interesting uh, turn of events. Let's go to that, Manich. I am negative in my account right now, so it's going to make a big difference. And my whole paycheck actually is I have to pay back $15,000 for a loan I got um, from a few people. So, you know, I made 10 and 10 for my win and my win and show. So that 20,000 was just gone. So, and I was okay with it. I was okay if I won and that check was gone. Cause I made the, I made the move out here and I knew that this fight was just going to be for the move, but it was the best decision me and my husband made for our careers. And just to get that bonus, <laughs> I've been so broke my whole life because of this sport, but it's so worth it to me because I love this sport, but to get a $50,000 paycheck, 
you know, my husband's going to tell me to put it away. I'm definitely going to want to buy some nice stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, like, I like to buy a little bit of things for the house and for my animals. I really like to spoil my family, but, you know, this week I'm definitely taking my team to go get a nice dinner. So um, it's, it, it's life-changing for sure, but I just, you know, got to put the money away and just go out there and fight again. And Luke, here's a video of her actual reaction to finding out in the locker room uh, from her husband that she had gotten the 50K for that victory. You, uh, you got uh, performance of the night. Yeah! Whoa! Let's go! Let's go! Hey, Shy. Red, Shy. Deserve it. Hey, it's favorite rhinos. <laughs> Not a girl. <laughs> so, Luke, tough, we talk man. a lot That's about tough. fighter pay, and a lot of times our discussion is centered upon, like, John Jones, right? Like, you know, is is it enough for him to make, you know, a million and a half in a fight, or should, given his history and where he stands uh, all time and his star power, you know, he should probably be making four, five, six, seven million, whatever. Or, hey, Conor McGregor, I bet you he made 40 million as opposed to the three that got reported. Look, this is the real fighter pay story right here. I know that this card kind of fell apart and had fights fall out, and, you know, UFC didn't intend Cheyenne Bays to be in the co-main event. She got paid 10 and 10 and she was like literally risking it all and said, I went in there ready to die in that cage if I had to, because I love the sport and I'm in the negative and it cost more to do the training camp than I was going to get paid. Even if I won, I mean, Luke, that's the real fighter pay issue right there. That a fight of the night could, could literally change her life. Um, that's what I want to see cleaned up in the sport. I mean, if it was the first fight of the night, look, you look at the payouts in a boxing match, God, guys in the first fight of the night off TV are getting paid like $2,000. That's not any different. If that, if that. But, but this is somebody on, you know, national TV or on, or on ESPN Plus in a, in a co-main event. They're getting paid 10 and 10. Luke, I, I mean, you can bring out John S. Nash all you want. If Dana's going to give a bag of cash and not report it to the IRS, this is the person to give it to. These type of situations, these fighters, Luke, are... are or dying just to try to stay in this game. They love the sport that much. And it's, uh, you know, do I want to see the 1% get what they deserve? Sure. But I want to see all the fighters be able to pay their freaking bills. I mean, this was like humbling to watch. Well, I mean, I would slightly disagree in the sense that um, I think it's def like, you know, what is the face of the fighter pay issue is sort of a difficult question. And the reality is because there is such a wide disparity between to your point, to your point, like there's John Jones's who, you know, you can make a, a strong argument. He's not been paid what he's worth, but he's already worth millions, right? Versus Cheyenne Bays, who has to take out a 15,000 loan. I mean, let's do the math on that. 15,000 loan, you got 20,000, plus you got to pay out taxes and everything else. You get almost none of that back. That's basically oh, all spoken for. how about paying for. your team, flying, the, yeah. you know what I mean? All that stuff, Exactly. Right? Like, you're, it's, it's gone. Like, there, there's, there, there, you won't collect a cent of that. Um, so that $50,000, and that's going to get taxed too, I think, but that will at least serve a very valuable purpose and float her for some time, and I'm very, very glad to see it. I think she earned it, by the way. I don't think it's any kind of pity case either. Um, you know, so you can ask, like, who's the face of the, of the um, fighter pay issue? Her case is going to be, I think, for a lot of folks, immediately more sympathetic 
And frankly, her need is more immediate, right? She literally needs that money. I remember on a UFC on Fox event, BC, I recall this distinctly, when Roland DeLorme, who's since been cut, but he had a moment there where he um, said he needed money and was hoping for a bonus because his water had been turned off. You know, this is just fucking insane that this kind of thing would happen. Still, I just don't want folks to lose sight of the fact if this is the kind of thing that gets people motivated to support change for fighters, hey, I'm all for it. I just feel like we should not lose sight of the fact that all of the different people in the UFC, all the fighters, no matter what range they're in, they're all being negatively impacted. So whatever makes you more sympathetic that gets you onto the case, let's do it. But they're they're genuinely, genuinely, I mean this. They are all owed more. John Jones is risking a lot too when he goes out there and fights unbelievable guy after unbelievable guy and gets paid twenty five percent of what he probably should or whatever the the number may be. So I agree with you. Her case is like there's got to be some kind of minimum if you're going to be on national TV. You win via stoppage in a co-main event. That should count for more than it is, especially if you're literally, literally destitute in BC. I've been broken in my life, and you've been broken in your life, and you know what it's like. There are moments where you sit in there broke, and you look at your life, and you say, is this ever going to end? Am I ever, ever going to get out of this hole, you know? And you just need someone to help you out. Um, let's give these people some relief, but let's not lose sight of the fact that they're, they're not alone and who's been underpaid. At the very least, it was, a, it was a good story. It was heartwarming to see someone show that kind of emotion and see what – just winning that bonus can do for them. But you again, you look at the money the promotion brings in and the platform, you know, like you said, if you're going to be in a co-main event or on a main card, good Lord, I don't care who you are. The minimum should be, should be better than this, right? You, you know, you should yeah. give somebody a fighting chance to, to, they want to be elite. They should be able to afford to train like they're elite, you know? hundred percent, hundred percent. And again, we've already been over my odds and ends. I don't have a whole lot to add, but I will say as Russia begins to develop more into MMA, you're going to see it in all these different promotions, either natively Russian ones or any fighter that gets signed to any promotion, whether it's One or UFC or Bellator. As Russia gets better, MMA will get better. Individual organizations will get better. But it does appear to me, BC, I don't quite have the numbers on it. I'd be curious to talk to some of the matchmakers over at Bellator. They just seem to have gone all in on whoever is available <laughs> from Dagestan. Yes. Like, guys we've not heard of, and then they debut them, and you're like, okay, he's ready to be a champion. <laughs> whether it's Kassan Magomed Sharapov or uh, whether it's Usman Nurmagomedov, and there's many other ones as well. Magomed, I got to say, Magomed. I think it, yeah, dude, it's a smart play by Bellator. Get these guys locked up, put them in fights that get them ready for the big stage and get them blah, 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 and then see what happens. And you've already got two Bellator champions right now, right? You've got Valentin Moldovsky and you've got um, Nemkov. the light heavyweight donk, Vadim Nemkov. There and might then be Amosov is, was born in the Ukraine, but he trains in Russia with, with Team Fedor, right? So No, 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 no. He's ATT. He's ATT. Oh, I'm sorry. He doesn't train, but he's um, there's a Russian Sambo connection there, even though he's born yes, in the Ukraine. Yes, that's right. He's a, he's a Sambo world champ. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you get the, the, that part of the world, so from Ukraine on down the Caucasus Mountains to Georgia and everybody else, I mean, that just is going to be an absolute hotbed. It is smart of Bellator to get guys who, obviously, Usman Nurmagomedov, BC, he's not the best lightweight in the world. He's not even the best lightweight in Bellator right now. But he could be both within a relatively short time frame. Get him now, lock him up, and see what you can do. It's a great play, and honestly, it makes the, just for me, it makes the roster so much more exciting. I love it. I love what they're doing. Yes, look, they, you, you got to give Scott Coker credit for this. Like, this was, this was a smart direction to go, and it, it's working out. So keep up. Keep That's up. It. And, and then, you know, regardless of Bellator, 
it's getting to the point, Luke, when you look at the betting odds, it's like, wait, what country is this guy from? Oh, you know, he's oh, he's the underdog, but but he's but he smashes. Yeah, I'll I'll put the money on him. I mean, you got a window here, Luke, to make some big cash on Dagestan. Okay, so yeah, so. these guys don't even break a sweat on <clears throat> these opponents. They look like they're carrying their groceries to from the car to the house, and that's how much exertion they have to put out, and they can do everything already. It's wild how good they are. All right. BC, that's it for us. Let's remind folks a few things. Number one, we need some questions for the mailbags. Go scam the system. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and from there, you give a nice five-star, blah, blah, blah. We'll answer them there. You can make them a little bit fun. You can make them sporting, too. This is not quite room service diaries. It can be a little bit more on brand for the typical MK show, but that's how you want to go and do that. We also need you to vote before I forget. Vote, 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 vote for us on the uh, podcast award. This is one, podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. You can vote for us at Best Sports Podcast, Best Male Hosted Podcast. And also don't forget the 13th Annual World MMA Awards where we have somehow found our way onto the nominee list for Best MMA Programming. If you watch this, I know you agree that we are, so why not give a vote? You can go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. Uh, BC, we will do fan subs on Wednesday. And we will do Dead Wrong on Friday. But to do that, people have to email us. Morningcombat at gmail.com. That's the place to get those in. Look, uh, I have something for you to look forward to this week. What do you mean? Wednesday's episode of Morning Combat. Are oh, you ready? Yes. I, I got a little something. I got a little something in the hopper called Celebrity Wheel of Death. Oh, okay. All right. We'll see how that goes. I'm, you have piqued my curiosity. Uh, let's see what else with folks. You want to try Showtime again tonight, 10 p.m. in the East. Showtime Extreme. You can watch the replay of Bellator 263. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial with Brian's dumb smile. Uh, and if you like it, you can keep it. If not, no harm, no foul. And we got merch, morningcombat.store. You can go buy condoms, machetes. It's like Amazon.com. You can go buy TVs there. They're MK TVs. It's awesome. <laughs> I will say, uh, let's give credit to our merch folks Uh the the mugs they put on the morning combat dad store they're they're pretty solid Luke there you can get some camouflage dad hats I mean there's some good new shit I didn't even know we made that Luke that's right I didn't know we made it either so there you go uh, all right I think that is it for us BC we'll be back on Wednesday we've got tons of stuff happening this week UFC pay per view on Saturday and then uh, that's it so for the king of Connecticut Malka Showtime CBS Sports I'm Luke Thomas see you all Wednesday and until then. May all of your gains be loyal.